blood of Jesus sets us free. Yes, I'm free. So I want to thank you, Father, for giving us your only Son for our freedom. Yeah! Yeah! yeah. Well, it's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, baby, it's the blood of Jesus sets us free. Oh, it's the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, it's the blood of Jesus sets us free. Ba 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 ba. Ba 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 I'm free Yes I'm free Ba 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 I'm free Yes I'm free So I wanna thank you Father Giving us your only son for our freedom. Yeah! Woo! I'm free. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the I want to 
Embracing me, I see your face. 
telling me you're healing me, restoring my soul. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my evil works. Wash me completely from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He can move the mountain. My God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Everyone needs compassion. Love that's never failing, let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, kindness of a Savior, the hope of
So take me where you find me. All my fears and failures. Fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. While I surrender, Savior, He can move the mountain. My God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. our Easter services, our preschool Sunday last week. So this morning we're going back into the book of Revelations, the seven churches. And so we'll be in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, if you want to turn there. When he designed and built the Imperial Hotel in Japan, many of his peers ridiculed the famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright. They thought it was crazy because, and gave it little chance to survive because of the type of earthquakes that Japan got, and they believed that a structure of that size to withstand those large earthquakes, it had to have a deep, rigid foundation. His foundation was unique, though. It was shallow, curved slab that was resting on the ground. And within a year of its completion, the great Kanto earthquake struck Japan, an estimated strength of 9.0, it killed 140,000 people, considered one of the worst natural disasters ever to strike Japan up until that time. It devastated Tokyo and almost every structure there, except for the Imperial Hotel. It was one of the few buildings left standing in the city. As Wright said, such a large building had to be built like a ship so that it could ride out the earthquake. The foundation was critical to its survival. What is true of buildings is just as true of us. In the midst of life's uncertainties and challenges, our foundation is critical. Jesus said as much in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, it's the wise who build on the rock of his words, because when the storms come, they'll be able to stand. The foolish, on the other hand, he said will not stand because their foundation is weak. It's built on sand. 
Paul spoke of the importance of the foundation when he said that the church was to be built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. God told the prophet Isaiah, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. And the one who trusts will never be dismayed. Our foundation is critical. To compromise or undermine it is the way to certain defeat in our lives. God calls us to faithfulness because he knows that we need the strength that faithfulness provides a building on a sure foundation. He doesn't compromise his truth to get a hearing or to fill up a building, and neither should we. Yet that is what was happening in the fourth of the churches addressed in the book of Revelation. Here was a church that had been built on a solid foundation of Christ in his word. The evidence was still there. But now as John writes to them, they were in danger of moving off that foundation and having it undermined by influences clearly contrary to God's ways. The church in Ephesus was a church that had almost everything. The church in Smyrna was a church that had all they really needed, and the church in Pergamon was a church without boundaries. Thyatira was an open-minded church. In the name of open-mindedness and finding acceptance, they were in danger of corrupting their beliefs with influences from the society around them. Foreign religious beliefs and practices were beginning to infiltrate the Church of Christ. And as he addressed the church at Thyatira, he calls them to accountability. And as he does so, he follows the pattern of address that he uses for all seven of the churches. It starts with a descriptive reference of Christ, which represents some characteristic as the basis for the message to follow. That then turns to an offer of commendation for what they're doing right followed by words of condemnation for what they're doing wrong and the judgment they would face if they keep heading in the wrong direction. And then each of the letters finishes up with a message of promise. What will happen if they listen? The description, the basis of the message to the church at Thyatira is found in the 18th verse of Revelation 2, which says, To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. When you look at the seven churches, Thyatira was the smallest and the least significant of all of them. It wasn't a center of learning, or power, or beauty, or culture, or worship. It was a military garrison. It was built, and soldiers were stationed there as a first line of defense for the capital city of Pergamum. With time, however, it grew. It became fairly prosperous because it was located at the juncture of the three main roads connecting Pergamum and Sardis and Smyrna. The city's prominent deity was Apollo, the sun god, son of Zeus, who was, as messenger of the gods, carried their their authority. The Romans considered the emperor Apollo incarnate. And to emphasize that connection, Thyatrian coins had the image of Apollo on one side and the image of the emperor on the other. When Emperor Domitian's son died, special coins were minted with an image of his son sitting on a 
globe surrounded by seven stars. And yet Jesus was previously addressed as the one who holds the seven stars in his hands and walks among the seven lampstands. Now he is addressed as the Son of God, the true and only Son. That title there is a claim to Jesus' authority. And located at the beginning of the message, says that the message he is about to speak to the church carries the authority of God himself. So pay attention. To further emphasize that point, he says down in verses 26 and 27, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received the authority from my father. On the entrance to the city of Thyatria was a shrine built to the Sibyl Sembathe, an ancient oracle like the one at Delphi. People would come from all over to see the priestess who they believed the gods gave special insight and knowledge and understanding about life and could see the future. But here it says, Jesus is the one whose eyes are like blazing fire. It carries the connotation of intimate knowledge. The one who's able to search the hearts and minds, who has the true understanding, who is aware of what's going on and burns away the impurity by his gaze. Again, here at the beginning, being addressed in this way, says that the message to the church is coming from one who has an intimate knowledge of their circumstances and what's happening there. And he knows where it will ultimately lead if left unchecked. The 33rd Psalm says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. While the city may not have had the greatness of an Ephesus or a Smyrna or a Pergamum, what they did have was an abundance of trade guilds, of unions. It was a union city more than any other city in Asia Minor. It had unions for almost everything, for the coppersmiths, the tanners, the linen workers, the wool workers, the dyers, the potters, the bakers. Virtually every profession in the city had a union which all of the workers were expected to belong to. They virtually ran the city, and each union had their own patron god, and each member of that union was expected to give appropriate veneration to that deity. That means they had to join in on special celebrations and feasts as a part of the worship, to participate in the worship to these gods. And that usually meant participating in the sacrifices and eating the meat as a part of it. Oftentimes it included immorality and unrestrained sexual practices. There would have been tremendous pressure placed on believers in that city to compromise in order to make a living and survive. These guilds had the power to keep a person from working if they refused to go by the rules. And yet Jesus is said here to be the ones whose feet are like burnished bronze, a symbol of strength. It is he who will rule with the iron scepter, who will dash them to pieces like pottery, it says. He, not some union, who held the power of life itself. His message to the church will come to pass because he who speaks has the ability, the strength to make it happen. Again, the psalmist said, With the Lord on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? 
The Lord is on my side to help me, and I shall look in triumph on all those who hate me. These are the words of the Son of God. His message carries the authority of God. His eyes are like blazing fire. His message comes from the one who knows and sees all, who's not swayed by popularity or appearance. His feet are like burnished bronze, not just with authority, but the ability to bring it to pass. That's the basis for the message that follows. Next comes the commendation. Verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. The foundation had been built well there. These traits were still in evidence that for a true faith, love inspired their faith. Faith gave rise to the ministry. Ministry was maintained by their perseverance of hope. All of them necessary to build on that solid foundation. They were growing, but that growth was being threatened because even the best of structures can be undermined when the foundation's compromised. And now that's what's happening. The foundation which had been so carefully laid, which was still bearing fruit, was starting to show signs of wear and cracks. It was being undermined by allowing false teaching into the church. The church at Thyatira was like another more recent church from our own history. It was a model congregation. They had a lot of good deeds. They had love and faith, ministry and service, growth as they seemed to be always doing more and more for their community. They provided heating swimming pool for underprivileged children. Horses were provided for inner, children, inner city children to ride. The church gave scholarships and provided housing for senior citizens. They had an animal shelter, medical facilities, outpatient care facilities, drug rehabilitation program. Walter Mondale wrote that the pastor was an inspiration to us all. The Secretary of Health, Education, and Welfare cited the pastor's outstanding contributions, and of him people said he knew how to inspire hope. He was committed to people in need counseled prisoners and juvenile delinquents. He started job placement centers, opened rest homes, homes for the handicapped, health clinics, vocational training centers, free legal aid, community centers. He preached about God. He even claimed to cast out demons, to do miracles, and to heal. He appeared to be a mighty spiritual leader, but today that church is dead. It died when all 780 members of the People Temple Christian Church followed their leader to Guyana, listened to the teaching of a man who had moved off that foundation, and when Jim Jones said to drink the Kool-Aid, they did. That's what was in danger of happening to the church at Thyatira. In their open-mindedness and acceptance and tolerance, they were allowing teachers contrary to the faith contrary to what they had placed their hope in. The one with eyes like burning fire could see where that was heading. And so after stating the basis for the message and commending them for what they were doing right, he speaks the words of condemnation and threatens judgment. Nevertheless, it says in verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. 
By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless she repents of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. What was happening here was similar, but not the same as what was happening in Pergamum. They were beginning to compromise with the world to get along and to find acceptance, to be open-minded to new ideas and interpretation, to not be confined to the religious beliefs of the past. It says they tolerated, they allowed, they permitted a woman, it calls Jezebel here among them. It's a reference, if you remember, to 1 Kings. Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Sidon, married to Ahab, king of Israel, who brought the religious practices and the worship of Baal into the kingdom of Israel. And with it, 450 of its priests. And then encouraged the people of Israel to mix their faith with the faith of her fathers and the worship of Baal and began to lead the nation astray. And those who refused to compromise, she systematically set out to put to death. And if Balaam represented moral compromise in the church at Pergamum, Jezebel represents spiritual compromise and idolatry. Jesus' concern is that the effect of a woman claiming to be a prophetess, spreading the teachings, leading the people of of God away. She was like the ones Jude warns about when it said, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. She may well have been teaching that the church didn't have to be concerned about joining with the union feasts and celebration and worship as a part of their guilds, of offering sacrifices themselves to get acceptance, to participating in the immorality that went on in many of those temples. Don't worry about it, because God's going to forgive you. Don't worry about it. He'll understand. Moral breakdown among the people of God is often a symptom of spiritual breakdown. In the name of love and tolerance, accepting things which are contrary to God, we can move further and further off that foundation. And it begins to get easier and easier to make allowances for our actions and our sins. You can't separate your business practices from your faith. You can't separate how you handle your finances from your faith or your recreational habits, or your sexual practice. They are one. We are united in our life, and our faith is to be essential to that. Because what, how we live is influenced by what we believe. Death was coming to the church little by little as this woman's teachings undermined their foundation. And if they continued, God says, you'll face judgment. It wasn't their intent to deny the faith. They were just slowly drifting. Nor is it our intent to move away from God in our lives sometimes. It happens, though, when we compromise. And as soon as we compromise with one thing, it gets easier to compromise with the next. 
Jesus said, heaven and earth is going, are going to pass away, but his words will not. How we live is an extension of who we believe in. Life cannot be compartmentalized into areas of faith and everything else. God isn't just concerned that we believe something. He's concerned with who we believe in and what we believe about him. Because if we believe wrong, eventually it'll show. That's the point of the harsh words he gives in verses 21 through 23. Unless this woman and those following her recognized which direction they were going in, turned back, repented, it says, they would face his judgment. Our foundation is critical. The message to the church is to stand for God's truth without compromise. To keep your foundation strong in life. It's a call to faithfulness to the truth, to the word of God, and not in the name of open-mindedness, allowing falsehood to creep in. That's why it's so important that we study the Bible each week. To get to know what God says, to build that solid foundation in our lives. Not to say, well, this is what I think, or this is what I hope, it means, but to learn what God has really said. First came the basis for the message, then the combination of what they're doing right, then the condemnation of what they're doing wrong, and then the promise. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, and who have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Stay on the foundation. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. And I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not only the authority, he says, but I'll give you the morning star. It's mentioned only one other place in Revelation, in the 22nd chapter. It's a reference to Jesus himself. He's saying, I'll give you more of myself. I who am the bright morning star. To him who overcomes, Jesus will give himself without limits, it said. The promise is an invitation to have more of him. To join him. To be a part of of what he wants to do in your life and in the world around you. The reformer named Zwingli said, the business of the truth is not to be deserted even to the sacrifice of our lives, for we live not for this age of ours, not for princes, but for the Lord. That's the call for Thyatira, to begin to once again build on that foundation with the assurance of life and wholeness and salvation. And in a moment when we sing our hymn of invitation, it's an invitation he extends to all of us to build on that foundation. Paul said, no other foundation can be laid than that which has already been given, which is Jesus Christ. And so we offer the invitation, if you would like to build your life on that foundation, that sure foundation of the one who conquered death and have not done so, it's an invitation for you to pray with you this morning to open your heart to allow Christ to become that foundation for you. Or perhaps it's to to make some commitment to follow through in baptism or service in some way. We invite you to come for prayer as we stand.
to sing the hymn of invitation. Stay.